0: Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell.
1: Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter from Sacktown, California. Welcome back, Cardinal fans, to this week's Red Rain Podcast. Brought to you right here from five minutes from Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. So we'll mention the Patriots in a a little bit uh, because uh, they just hired Bill O'Brien. Just want to touch on that briefly. But um, the thought occurred to me that uh, for the first time ever, within the next 24 hours, perhaps the Cardinals will be the first team to... um, sign their new head coach i would prefer that um because of all the work that that our gm monty austin fort and assistant gm dave sears need to do with a new coaching you know getting the coaching staff set on a new head for a new head coach you know they got a lot of film to watch about in order to evaluate the 34 um undrafted I mean unrestricted free agents the Cardinals have that's going to take a lot of time we're only seven weeks away from free agency or something to that effect so you know the sooner I think is the better and they've got some very good candidates I think they could hire immediately if if the all the right pieces fall in place um and um, you know we'll talk first about Dan Quinn, because, you know, he, he was flown in last night. Um, imagine there was a steak dinner involved and some chit-chat as a prelude to today's um, interview with him. And if that goes well, it could be. We, we may have a, our new head coach by this afternoon at some point or early evening. Um, You know, and I, I know that there's a, a looming interview with Sean Payton scheduled for tomorrow so i don't know how that would factor in but i think if uh because they fly flew um quinn in this quickly for his second interview and and you know with a chance to you know have go out to dinner with him and get to know him a little better uh, that that seems to indicate a good deal of interest on the cardinals part
0: And, you know, if things go well today and the
1: package is right, who knows? But, uh, you know, Dan Quinn, I think in many ways is, you know, he and Sean Payton are the two most highly qualified um, coaches um, in the pool because of their uh, head coaching experience, because both of them have taken teams to a Super Bowl as a head coach. Of course, uh, you know, Sean Payton won his one appearance in a Super Bowl. Um and Quinn had a 28-3 lead. That's the epic comeback by Tom Brady um, in that Super Bowl. Uh, and that's when Quinn had Kyle Shanahan as OC. And you know, um, but Quinn had him right there. But Quinn also won a ring with the as DC for the Seahawks. So it's not like he doesn't have a ring either. I mean, Peyton has one ring. Um, well, actually, I think Peyton has another ring um, with Parcells, um, and uh, somewhere along the line. So I think the two of them are, you know, sort of head and shoulders above the others in terms of experience and um, as head coaches and and success as head coaches. Um, So, you know, that's exciting. And, of course, Quinn's defense in uh, Dallas has been, you know, for two years now, dominant. And so today on Revenge of the Birds, I just posted an article called how Dan Quinn's um, 4-3 defense could dominate in Arizona. I think you might find it interesting because, you know, here's – Here was my projection um, on that Um, with a draft that included, uh, I'll just start with a mock draft I did on a simulator um, on PFF this morning, where I feel like the Cardinals, if if Will Anderson is still on the board at pick three and the Colts are sitting there at four, the Cardinals are going to get, I think, a number of trade offers for quarterback-needy teams, the Colts being one of them. Um, I don't think there's any question the Colts need to draft a young quarterback in this draft. So I I think the Cardinals could trade down with the Colts just one spot to still be able to take Will Anderson Jr., who could be the Micah Parsons uh, version um, in uh, Dan Quinn's defense for the Cardinals. How exciting would that be? And uh, and think of it this way: for a three man, the four three, the three part, the linebackers could be Anderson at strong, Zayvon Collins in the middle, and Isaiah Simmons at weak outside linebacker. Which I think is perfect for him. Um, that could be his niche and ticket to numerous Pro Bowls. We you put him in that role, I think that's going to be um, you know perfect for him. So um and uh so i i i felt like the cardinals could be able to get a first the colts first and second round picks because of the leverage they would have in that situation they could tell teams you know i've got we've got um really good offers here um you know give us your best offer and i think if if the colts said we'll send you the number 4 and 35 picks uh i think it's a deal and so here's so had Will Anderson going number one. Then um uh I picked up the nose tackle I from um uh Baylor, big kid, um really good interior best nose tackle, I think, in this draft at pick 34 in the Cardinals slot. And then at 35, I picked up Clark Phillips, um, the third from Utah to play the slot, which finally, finally the Cardinals have to address if you're going to cover Debo Samuels, Tyler Lockett, and Cooper Cup. Um, Phillips' PFF grade is not as high as it should be, although interestingly his grade on the season from PFF is the second highest of any corner in the draft. It's like 82.5 or something. Um, but because he's a slot, you know, he's, he's a nickel corner or more more uh, prone, you know, more apt to play the nickel. Maybe they, you know, knocked him down some pegs because of that. Um, but I think he's superbly versatile. I think you can play him on the perimeter, but but his quickness in the slot and play and ball ball skills and playmaking abilities just what the Cardinals need. I mean, there's another guy I love in this draft, it's Brian Branch. Um, of Bama um, oh my god is he fantastic in fact if we traded down and got multiple picks in the first round I, he's a guy I hope they would jump on because he is he is tremendous in all areas he's listed as a safety but what he is is he's a slot corner and reversible safety D back you can put all over the field um, and he's a tremendous tackler tackler but um, next to him Clark Phillips of the of the uh slot corners that i've viewed in this draft is clark phillips is is just a dandy so i didn't want to waste any time and i took him right there i mean PFF's giving it an f because they had him ranked as their 99th player and i took him at 35 there's no way if you've studied clark phillips phillips tape he's gonna last till 99 on the you know in, in the draft i mean this one i think they have wrong but uh they don't have his grade wrong cuz uh the only other um you know the other corner in the draft that they that had a higher grade i mean Clark Phillips grade of 82.4 was uh 24th in the country out of 700 out of 917 cornerbacks um the only other one that's higher is Emmanuel Forbes of Mississippi State um, like him a lot too i i just don't think he's quite as quick and um as uh phillips in the slot so but if if forbes is there too he'd be a great pick um you know there may there may be a number of really good corners sitting right there so but i finally the cardinals really need to address the slot and i'll I'll tell you who i i have um the cardinals signing it as a um unrestricted free agent in at a cornerback too which could factor into this i'll get to that in a minute but i'll just um wanted to introduce those two guys as uh keep goals three guys anderson Ica and phillips as um instant contributors in a dan quinn four three so here's what it would look like gang. all right so left defensive end cameron thomas 69.9 pff grade as a rookie Um, he's made order for that role. Uh, it's just perfect niche for him. Um, Siaki Aika at nose tackle, 74.5 PFF grade at Baylor last year. I have the Cardinals re-signing Zach Allen to play defensive tackle. Um, and that's a perfect role. And that's the penetrator role in, in, uh, Dan Quinn's defense. Um, and he scored at 72.7 last year, which is outstanding. And then I have the Cardinals taking, um, using a, a Monty for connection and signing um, DeMarcus Walker to play right defensive end uh, UFA out of Tennessee. Um, Walker had eight sacks last year for the Titans uh, this past season, and he was an under-the-radar free agent that Monty Osenfort um signed in tennessee and i could see him um reaching out to walker he his grade pff grade was 72.8 and then the thought of will anderson 83.2 that's at, at um um uh, at strong outside linebacker uh at middle linebacker zavin collins 59.8 his grade should have been better than that we saw um and it, I mean, under Dan Campbell, I mean, I mean, Dan um, Quinn, excuse me. Um, wow. Uh, think of what he could do. I mean, Quinn just got the best season ever out of um, Van Der Esch. Um And, you know, I think he scored in the seventies. Um, imagine what uh, Quinn could do with Zayvon Collins. I think at four, three in the middle would be perfect for him. And then, especially flanked by two athletes like Will Anderson and Isaiah Simmons. And Simmons at weak outside linebacker, he was 67.9, good grade for him this, this season, past season, um, used all over the field and stuff. But I think the 43-week outside linebacker position is major order for Isaiah. I think that's his niche, and I think it could be the springboard to um, multiple Pro Bowls if, if you put him in that slot right there. So then, in the secondary, the the U, UFA unrestricted free agent that I think the Cardinals could afford because I think they can make one big splash defensive signing would be Jamel Dean from the Tampa Bay Bucks. Kyle, you like Jamel Dean, don't you?
0: I do, and he's he wasn't a huge part of the team. I, I want to say a couple years ago, but. I think he would be a great pickup for the Cardinals, especially if they do decide, you know, if they get the trade and draft a slot corner, like you suggested, power to them. I think that if they choose other positions in the draft, going to uh, pick up Jamel Dean is a great move by Arizona.
1: Yeah. And he scored a 77.9 last year. That's way up there.
0: That is above average for starting corners in the NFL. Oh,
1: it's, it really is. And, um, and he, this is a kid whose best football looks like it's ahead of him, too. Um, he's really come on in in four years there. I'm not sure they could afford to uh, re-sign him. Um, so uh, I think the Cardinals could get a beeline going with him. And then at uh, strong safety, Jalen Thompson, 65.0. We need a bounce back here from him. Um, free safety, Buda Baker, 74.5. Highest grade on the Cardinals defense this year. And then uh, at right corner, Marco Wilson really came on this year. I'm really you know, happy about him. Uh, his grade was he, – he picked it up later in the season, but it's, it ended up at 55.3. But we saw the flashes, and I'd expect him to take the next step in terms of consistency, and he'll have a better pass rush in front of him this year
0: to update Cardinals fans on Jamel Dean real quick, they're projecting his contract will be somewhere in the eight to $10 million a year value.
1: Uh, that it's going to be well more than that, I think, but,
0: um, Oh, that's just in guarantees. That's not saying the the contract beyond that. That's just guaranteed money.
1: Yeah. I think we're probably looking at three years for 45 to 50 million, somewhere in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's not going to be. He'll be a little pricey, but I think worth it. And um, yeah, I don't think he'll be over the moon pricey. So that will. Yeah,
0: the the guarantees are the ones that'll go against the salary cap, and yeah. that was just kind of what I was using to evaluate that. Yeah,
1: year one they could structure it so that you don't have to pay him as much uh, right up, you know, on on the cap um, in the first year. Or so. And then uh, at, at nickel, I have Clark Phillips, 85.2 um, PFF grade last year. Like I said, top 25 of the country. That's all for PFF grades. That's really good. And then our nickel edge rusher, My J Sanders, 53.5. I thought he played better than that. And as we saw, he had three sacks and 17 quarterback pressures, but he was yo yoed in and out of the lineup, lineup as a rookie. And, uh, um, But I think putting him in that role is, uh, you know, and you've got um, as the nickel edge rusher, um, it's going to be awesome. And um, because I, I I think you can continue to bulk him up because eventually he can play a forty-three D end if you do. I mean, he's got the length. He's got the strength too. He's got uncanny strength in his arms and hands. So I mean, I would, I would think that eventually he could fit into the that role as a starter in the meantime, I haven't picking up Demarcus Walker. Another guy to keep an eye on um, in terms of a defensive end in a four, three is John Kaminsky of the lions. Um, Kaminsky uh, had eight sacks himself this year. Um, and 44 quarterback pressures really came on strong. And he's kind of like the DeMarcus, um uh, you know, um Walker version of the Lions. Um, and of course we now have the connection with the Lions with Dave Sears. So, um, you know, maybe Sears makes a play for Kaminsky, rugged kid who's really, you know, stout and um and comes after it. So one of those two, Walker and Kaminsky, and maybe even both, who knows? Um, I don't think they'll be too too pricey either. Um I think there'll be, you know, um, niche players that could be really good for the Cardinals. Um, so that's how I had the, uh, you know, sort of a model of how Dan's, Dan Quinn's 4-3 could be dominant in Arizona. Um, I, I, You know, I look at that and I just think, I think the Cardinals have the personnel for that. I also think they can morph still into a 34 team if brian flores gets the job i mean um you know there'll be some tweakings there uh and i'll talk about that at some other point but um but yeah i mean that looks really exciting to me um rounding out my draft i had cardinals taking um the long receiver jalen hyatt hyatt at 66 uh from tennessee really like him um if you saw the Tennessee games uh, with Herndon Hooker, um, Hyatt was his go-to guy. He can stretch the defense. He's got, he's long and fast. Um, you know, I have them trading DeAndre Hopkins for two picks to the Giants, um, eighty-nine and one twenty-eight. That's um, a
0: very interesting team. If they, if Hopkins wanted to go play with them,
1: they have already expressed interest, keen interest. And I think that Brian Dable would fashion Hopkins as his go-to guy, the way he had with with uh, um, Stefan Diggs, with Diggs in Buffalo, exactly. So, um, so I dressed then started dressing the offensive line. I was able to pick up Luke Weipler, the center from um, Ohio State, really like a lot. Got a B plus for that. I was really happy. <laughs> This was at pick 89, uh, and then uh, I got a B-plus for Andrew Voorhees, the guard from USC at 96. Um, and then I picked up at 144. Later, I made a trade uh, with Cleveland, traded back to get two more picks um, in the fourth round, uh, a fourth-rounder and a, and a fifth-rounder from the Browns. Um, I was able to pick up uh, Jalen Duncan at 144. The uh, Maryland tackle is very gifted physically, um, and and uh, it would be a really good um, project for the Cardinals to develop. So uh, that gives us a center, a guard, and a tackle, and address the defensive interior by taking Zach Pickens of South Carolina at one eleven. Um, I was watching Pickens tape, and uh, he's he's very active and disruptive disruptive, a little inconsistent, but um, which is why he's probably, you know, going to be taken in round four, Um, maybe sneaks into the back end of round three, but he's, he's a physically talented, um, disruptive kid. I also like DJ Dale of Alabama picked him. uh, He's still on the board late. So I took, picked him in the seventh round. I don't think he'll be in the seventh round, but Hey, you know, you never know. Um, and, uh, and I would pick him up earlier if he's you know, on the board at earlier spots. So picking up Pickens and Dale would, would be great. And then the, the running back that I picked up in the fourth round, um, is Ty J Spears of Tulane, um, who I just think is, is so gifted. Um, I'm not sure he'll he'll slide to 128 either. I'd be tempted to pick him up at the back end of the third round. The Cardinals have two pick, you know, have a compensatory pick. Um, he is dynamic. I don't know if you saw his bowl game. It was out of this out of the universe. I mean, unbelievable. Um, you know, they upset who was it? USC, right, Kyle? Um,
0: who upset USC?
1: Yeah, and this kid went off on the Trojans absolutely went off um, but he was going off on people all year and, and uh, he's he's uh just got gifted feet and he's tough uh, the whole package he's versatile um, and then I have I picked up a couple tight ends for depth Josh Wiley of uh, Cincinnati I've always liked when I've watched Cincinnati I watch a bunch of their games uh, he's a he's a good um receiver good blockers combo tight end that i kind of like and then later on i saw the camera on latu latu of uh, alabama was still on the board late i was like that's value i mean he's coming off a so so year for him he's more talented than what happened but alabama tight ends don't get used a lot um
0: he also and, got injured in their first game of the season. It was against one of the Mountain know, West teams, but he was playing through an injury this year.
1: Exactly. And he's he's talented. So yeah, you know, I thought that was a value pick later on. Then I saw a guy on the board that got an A minus for one eighty. Um Michigan cornerback DJ Turner. Um God, I like that kid. I mean, I don't I don't see him at 180, but he was there, so I snagged him. I would, could have picked him earlier. I mean, if he was there at 144, which he might be, I'd take him over Duncan and hope that Duncan's there at 174 Um, and, you know, shuffle the deck a little bit there. But DJ Turner would be a great pick. Um, He has value. He can be versatile, too. He can play safety spots. The Cardinals need another safety in the mix. I'll talk, you know, I'll talk about that at some other point, but um, the Cardinals need to address their coverage in the safety, at the safety position. Um, it's been a weakness, and um, they've got to be able to turn that around. I think Dan Quinn will, will coach up Buddha and um, Jalen stronger in coverage, but also I think you need another guy back there. Turner could help with that. Um, and I, there are other guys in this draft who could really help. I mean, seriously, Brian Branch, i draft him in the top 10. I think he's a top 10 player in this draft. He is just so good. Go watch his tape. He is just, oh, my goodness. You're just going to look at, you know, roll your eyes at some of the plays he makes. Um, he's that good. Uh, what if we ever could come out of this draft with those two Bama kids Anderson and Branch. Oh my goodness, I'd be, I'd be out of my mind, um, excited. But uh, I think Branch is not going to slide to the early second round. He's just too, the tape's just too good, and you know. So, but um, and then I was able to draft uh, or um, select a quarterback that I think could be the Brock Purdy of this draft. Kyle, do you have any? Who was Purdy about Purdy's size and who's very productive? um,
0: Well, I don't know about Purdy's size, but I have an idea of where you might be going with this. Uh, Is it is it Devin Leary of uh, North Carolina State?
1: Oh, I like him. I like him a lot. Um, I think he isn't he coming back?
0: Not a hundred percent sure. I just, he's like, he's, he's about the same age as Lamar Jackson. So I assumed he didn't have any eligibility (laughs) left, but I could be wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, the guy I'm thinking one is closer to you. Um, He's in the Western part of the country. Um, He's a Hmm. nifty player. Um, His name is Jaron Hall of BYU. I don't know if you've seen him play, but. Kid can sling it, um he's got moxie uh I'm surprised he was there on the board at two thirteen. I don't think that's gonna happen, but who knows I mean he's the knock on him is he's six one you know these days guys are uh you know bigger and stronger, the bigger, stronger guys are getting gobbled up um faster. And um, I thought Hall could be a nifty little fit there. You know, and if um, – it'll be interesting to see who Dan Quinn has in mind for offensive coordinator. I was reading articles about his candidacy in Denver, and um, there was – they're speculating that Quinn wanted to come with Darryl Bevel because Bevel was, you know, thrived under, um, you know, with Russell Wilson bevel was the oc in seattle when they won the super bowl um and um so and you know if if he brings darryl bevel um to arizona i mean you know i mean darryl bevel helped to develop russell wilson i mean he could do the same with kyler um also, and then of course, you got a kid like Jaron Hall, maybe fits that mold too. So, um, yeah, I've always liked Darryl Bevel. I'm not sure why he's gotten such a bad rap. Maybe it was that um, decided throw on first down. I'm not sure. That uh, was it his.
0: might also be recently that he was uh, Urban Myers offensive coordinator during uh, yeah. like the worst season anyone's seen. Uh, I think he was also there for the Matt Patricia Lions, which didn't go so great. Uh, it's been right. a little bit since he was in Seattle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, this guy knows a ton of football and he's, he's got, uh, he's very creative um, scheme wise. So I I would be all right with that. Um, I don't know who else uh, Dan Quinn would have in mind, um, but I bet he's got a number of people he might have in mind. I mean, the guy I would love is uh, Mike Mulfleur. I still can't believe that the Jets let him go, although I think it was a mutual thing. I think he was fed up with the with the quarterback carousel that Robert Sala... Um,
0: yeah, he was, a, he was a big Zach Wilson guy back in 2021, and uh, I think since they're moving on from Wilson, they moved on from him.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately Wilson made the comment that pissed everybody off, and then you know, and he at that point he was five and two this year. I'm not playing out of his mind, but the thing about Lafleur that I loved was his use of uh, Brees Hall and Michael Carter's running backs, the creative blocking sk- schemes up front, plus the play action and throwing to the backs. I mean, I think Brees Hall was on a fast track to offensive player of the uh, rookie of the year um, with fellow teammate um, Garrett Wilson. Um, at that point earlier in the season, I mean, the jets were really, really, um, lighting up the scoreboard back when, um, hall was healthy and, and so was, uh, Michael Carter. I mean, they were a great one, two punch, um, and they were doing playoff play action off of that. And I just really, you know, there were some games in there. I was just like, this guy can call plays, man. And looking at this blocking schemes up front, it looked, um, really well designed. It was not like the Jets had the most prolific offensive line, but he had guys pulling in the right spots and making um you know making the plays, the execution was good. So you know I, I like him a lot. I mean he's still unsigned and kind of waiting for the right opportunity. Um and I I would hop all over him. He'd be fantastic. I mean some are saying maybe Frank Reich would agree to come with, uh, you know, be, um, Dan Quinn's OC. Um, I'd be all in favor of that. Um, was it Reich's experience? I mean, um, you know, I think Reich's a lot better coach than people give him credit for. I just think, you know, he got, um, he got kind of stuck, um, at quarterback there in, in in indy um you know and with just some untimely poor games you know I, I, he was 11 and 5 a few years back with philip rivers at quarterback and then you know um of course with wentz wentz we saw wentz beat us at christmas day and you know, he was having a pretty dang good year, and but then the bottom fell out at the end. I mean, I think it was partly because didn't he contract COVID or he was out of – he might have been sick. with that last game against the Jaguars that did Wentz in and, and the Colts were making the playoffs was really tough. And then, you know, we saw this year, I mean, Matt Ryan just – um just never really got on track in that offense, and
0: uh, well, and then they went out of their way to embarrass him when they said, "We know he's not healthy, but we're going to bench him, and he has no opportunity to get his job back." I think that was like week six, and then Frank Reich got fired a couple weeks later.
1: Yeah, I think he Reich was at his wits' end. But let's face it; I mean, he wanted helped win a Super Bowl with Nick Folk. Over Tom Brady, he was the OC, you know, um, uh, or quarterback coach. Uh, yeah, he his...
0: was. He was there for five years in Indianapolis. Most most coaches don't usually get five years unless they're doing something.
1: Yeah, I mean the guy's just. I think you know. I mean, he's no Mike McCoy. Put it that way. I mean, if, people, if Cardinal fans are worried, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> Mike McCoy all over again? No, 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 no. Don't don't worry. Um, it's not like that, uh, we'd be, there would be a really, could be a tremendous power combo of Quinn with Reich. I mean, a lot of experience there and a lot of success that they've had, um, you know, two of the more successful guys in the NFL. So, you know, if that were a package that could, could come through, that would be great too. But the, this is the other reason why I, I really want the Cardinals to shock the world. I mean, I've never seen it done where they're the first to sign a coach because, you know, of of being able to get a head start on the most qualified assistant coaches because once the dominoes fall and these teams, make hires, it's going to be a, a, you know, free for all. It's going to be like a shopping spree uh, for assistant coaches. It's going to be, you know, wild and woolly and, if the Cardinals get ahead of that curve, boy, that could be fantastic. And, um, so it wouldn't surprise me if today we get some sort of an announcement, um, it much would depend on where the Broncos are with Sean Payton and whether the Broncos, you know, they've been heavily tied to Dan Quinn. Maybe they making calls frantically to say, no, don't make a decision today. We still want to talk to you. Um, Meanwhile, I heard that, that Peyton is delaying a second interview with, or th- with the Broncos, which is weird. Um, God. is that, do you think that's why
0: we haven't seen any coaches signed yet? Cause I used to be like, you know, all the coaching positions were filled within two weeks of black Monday, or at least 75% yeah. of them would be is Sean Peyton kind of delaying the process for everyone.
1: It might be Kyle. That's a great question. Um, but I think of anyone, he, you know, his situation might take the longest to figure out because of the compensation. Yeah, you know, I, I just think Peyton's kind of made it really hard on teams. I mean, saying he wants 20 to 25 million, he's a guy who wants control of the organization now. He's, these organizations have GMs, but he wants. He will want control of roster, even with a GM in place. He'll want control of personnel and roster. Um, so that's a big ask. Um, and then, I mean, that's why it seems kind of silly that the Cardinals are in on, having h- hired monty Asin for, it, um, seems kind of silly that, that they're in on Peyton you know with uh, i mean oh my gosh like i wrote on twitter i just couldn't help it i write feels so bizarre that the cardinals lost two games this season by saving money on a backup kicker and are now baiting fans with a 20 to 25 million dollar a year coach that will cost them two to four high draft picks when they finally have a gm and assistant gm who, unlike Steve Keim, have built offensive lines and defensive lines through the draft, which I documented on Revenge of the Birds. I mean, this is so exciting about these two hires, gang. Is that these guys are line builders? I mean, serious. I mean, let me let me just you know just cue this up. I, it's an article called Dave Sears lines up with Monty Austin and lines up is a play on words because because check this out um, for here's Austin fab five on the offensive line guys. He's been a part of drafting. OK, this is Austin left tackle Nate Solder, Isaiah Wynn. And he made a great pick for the, helped make a great pick for the Titans and Nicholas petit Frere, um, Frere um, who had a really good rookie season for them. Left guard, Joe Tooney, pro bowler. Alex Karras, who's now the center for the.
0: Joe Tooney's an all-pro player, I believe.
1: Yeah, and he's an all-pro. Center, David Andrews. He wasn't even drafted. They signed him as an undrafted college free agent. Ted Larson was a good center he drafted. Right guard, Shaq Mason. Right tackle, Marcus Cannon, Cameron Fleming. He's made some – look at that, okay? And it's sad to say, but the only – with all the draft picks Steve Kime over 10 years used on offensive line, and it just seems so bizarre – being an offensive lineman himself and an all ACC player. The only one who's stuck so far is DJ Humphries. The only one you can't say, well, what good guard did he draft? You can't say it. What good center did he draft? He drafted four centers in five years and then had to, had to um, use a third round pick on, on Rodney Hudson. And that blew up. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And then, you know, there's hope for Josh Jones. I mean, for me, the way Josh Jones played at left tackle, he's a starter for years to come there. I, I wouldn't put DJ back there. I'd switch DJ over to the right side, um, and, and which I think he could handle. But I'd leave Josh Jones right where he is. And he, Josh Jones had one of the top offensive grades on the team last year. He was in the seventies, so I mean, even PFF recognized his work there. The, the you know, but here it gets even better with Sears. Check this out. I mean, you know, the Lions have a top five offensive line now. That's why they're so good, and that's why Jared Goff was having such a good season. Is check this out. Here's what Sears is director college, um, you know, um, scouting uh did it at, in his time with Detroit. Left tackle Taylor Decker. One of the best tackles in the in the NFL right now. Left tackles. He also highest paid
0: left tackle in the NFL right now.
1: Yeah. Riley Reef, he drafted him too. He had a good good run. Uh left guard. Uh Larry Warford, remember him? <laughs> he made some Pro Bowls. And then the current one he drafted Jonah Jackson is excellent. I mean, had a really good season. Center, Frank Frank Ragnall, all pro, or pro bowler, right up there with the top three or four centers in the league. He also earlier um, drafted a kid named Graham Glasgow, who was really good for a while there. At right guard, Lakin Tomlinson, one of the better guards in the NFL. He drafted him. Right tackle, Penny Sewell. I mean, Sewell's going to, I mean, once, you know, in a couple of years going to be known as the best right tackle. And he,
0: he would, would be work. the best left tackle on a whole bunch of teams. And yes, he's he Right would. tackle because they have Taylor Decker.
1: That's a great point. And then on the defensive side. So, I mean, here's two guys that have drafted consistently well across the board on offensive line. So now let's switch over to defense and check this out. Austin Fort's Fab Five. Um, So it's – and they're both, uh, you know, three, four guys. So it's five men across. You know, you get their outside linebackers. Outside linebacker Trey Flowers drafted him. Left defensive end Dietrich Wise, who's, you know, one of the Patriots' best interior players. Nose tackle. I love this kid Tairet Tart, who he drafted for the Titans. Um, he's a restricted free agent right now, and I wonder if we can make a play for him. He is he, this kid's a player. Uh, right defensive end Malcolm Brown, been really solid. One of the best for the Patriots, and outside linebacker a guy we're very familiar with named Chandler Jones. Um, you know then. On, on uh, for Sears, he drafted outside linebacker Kyle Van Noy. He just drafted a guy named James Houston in the sixth round who came on like gangbusters down the stretch for them and looks outstanding. He drafted Sean Robinson at left defensive end. Alim McNeil, who's playing great for them at nose tackle. sue he drafted right defensive end. Aiden Hutchinson, outside linebacker. I'll take that line right now. Houston, Robinson, McNeil, Sue, and Hutchinson. Oh, my goodness. And then I just pointed out, I, it's awful to have to say this, but the only productive starters that the Cardinals have, have drafted are three guys in 10 years on, line, on both lines combined. D.J. Humphreys, Hassan Reddick, and Zach Allen. That's it. I mean, and look at how they screwed up. I mean, the Reddick screw-up is now, has to rank up there in all-time screw-ups by a GM and an owner in NFL history. I mean, it's just, and the way they handle, mishandle them, we can go on and on about that. Uh, I mean, I'm rooting for Reddick in the playoff. I mean, he is playing lights out. You see him rushing this past weekend. I mean, oh my goodness! I mean, he is. You know, he almost duplicated his five sack performance against the Giants again in the playoffs. So,
0: it's him against the Giants. It's it's a weird fascination, <laughs> Hassan Reddick dominating the New York Giants.
1: It doesn't matter who they have in there, and they've they've improved on the offensive line. But Reddick is just. He's got the 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 edge speed, the bend, plus the um the power on his hands. I mean you see him rock back the the Giants guard into uh Daniel Jones. But I mean that was an unbelievable play. Um and Zach Allen, I mean, we've got to hang on to him, I think. Um yeah, you know, he's he's we've gotten good production out of him. He's gotten better and better he's from the J.J. J. Watt school of training um, and he's starting to come into his own that's a priority I think number one priority for our own free agents is to get him wrapped up I mean on uh, spot rack they th- think Allen's like 10 mil a year and I think that's possible um, I don't think he's going to command you know um, 15 I don't think so but I think he can command like 10 and I could get a good deal done with him there on something like that. Ten to Yeah. You
0: mentioned the spot rack market value um, website, which is very helpful. They're projecting that his market value is about two years in between 13 and $14 million. Yeah. Uh, I think
1: that's a little on the low end. I'd take it in a heartbeat. Um, it, that probably was factoring in his late season injuries last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's they, probably so. And yeah. the, the way they compare it is with um, – so they find some comparable players based on age, contract status, and statistical production. And the best comparison they could find for him is uh, Samson Ebukam for uh, – I believe he's on the uh, 49ers now but used to play for the Rams. Yeah. And yeah, he got a two-year $12 million contract. Yeah,
1: well, he's a 4-3 D and he's not a 3-4. He's not an interior player, Ebukam. And so I think it's a poor comparison. Um, although Allen's versatile, Allen can play four-three DN. He could play four-three um, defensive tackle too, which is really cool. So he's versatile in that way, um, like K J. J Watt could. I mean, JJ Watt could play both. I mean, obviously, Allen's not JJ Watt yet, but he's he's making he's you know building himself into a formidable player in the interior who's very disruptive as we saw him and then batting down passes. So with losing JJ Watt to retirement, we really need to keep this kid out. Of course, I'm a BC guy, so I'm extra involved and in, in, in excited. Um, also, as a BC guy, I've been excited about Brian Flores. I mean, Brian Flores has one of the great moments in BC history, in my book, that had me just flying off my seat, like the Flutie Hail Mary was... Uh, His senior year at BC, we were at, um, in South Bend at Notre Dame. And they had, they were, I think, number one in the country. And uh, BC knocked them off. And it was, uh, if I remember this correctly, but I, what I do remember is uh, um, Brian Flores making a huge pick six in that game. I mean, he was a, you know, NFL type linebacker of today back in the day when you know guys like that didn't get drafted high i mean he he could he was good at all aspects of outside linebacker um he had the he had the speed he had the he could force the run he could rush the edge he, he was like the matt milano of his generate previous generation um he could have played inside where milano is um I've always loved Brian Flores. It's, it's really upsetting to me how, how preyed upon he was by Stephen Ross and Greer down in Miami. That was just brutal what they did to him. Um, and he deserves another great chance. And, you know, I've been, I I'd be jumping for joy if he, if he's the Cardinals choice. And I think in a lot of ways he makes sense because it was, He's already aligned with Monty Asenfort. Um, but I also respect and understand that, you know, Dan Quinn has, you know, a stronger resume at this point. Um, and, you know, you have to tip your hat to that. Um, you know, I, I do worry about the perception that's going to, you know, that pundits are going to bring up of, of uh, you know of race with regards to the Cardinals. Um, now we know Michael Bidwell, is, and he's on the diverse committee and all of that. But you know when you appoint Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris as your co-interim GMs and have been touting them as as uh, you know um, as viable GM candidates around the league, and then you hire Monty Asenfort to GM, who's, again, I mean, has a wider breadth and and and, and span of experience than both Wilson and Harris. So you, you can understand the move. But then also adds Dave Sears as assistant GM and doesn't promote one of them. You know, I, now makes you wonder what's going to happen to Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris. Or You know, and plus the way Monty Ossif said, adamantly how they have to change the whole way the cardinals do their their um um scouting um i don't know if that was prompted by bidwell himself but um it had to have been you know a topic of conversation with bidwell i guess bidwell hasn't been happy with i think what he's not happy with is draft picks coming in and not you know jiving with the coaches as we've seen and almost like the coaches you know get introduced to them on the practice field and don't you know really know who they are don't know how to use them and I think that's a huge frustration um, but that's why Austin Ford is saying let's get everybody aligned so everyone's on the same page so stuff like this that when we draft a player it's with the approval and encouragement of the coaches you know and get everybody involved get everybody aligned you know with with Flores that alignment would be pretty automatic I mean Austin forts used to playing a three-4 defense with the Patriots um, with the Titans you know he's used to the Patriots mold I mean uh, Flores is a three three four guy I mean I think Flores is versatile enough I mean Quinn was a three4 guy and then you know when when he had a year off uh, after the Falcons or you know in, in the interim of becoming assistant um after his head coaching days, you know when he had those, you know he was fired after five games, um, he went back to the drawing board and and um, made key changes and felt like you know, um if he had to, if he had the right personnel for four three, he was gonna convert. And he did and look at the co- look at the conversion, I mean. You know, what the Cowboys accomplished last two years on defense is is noteworthy.
0: Did you hear uh, Kyle Shanahan's quote during the uh, the playoff game last week when they uh, went to Aaron Andrews on the sideline?
1: No, what was that?
0: So if you remember, Shanahan was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta under Dan Quinn during those first two seasons. And um, he was laughing. He's like, yeah, I I know Dan's defense, but he doesn't do anything the same as when I was there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There you go, and actually, I did hear that. I don't didn't remember. Thank you so much for bringing that up. That's exactly right. and um, that shows you see, you know coaches who can adjust and grow with the game. That's what Belichick is so famous for. You know, you wouldn't realize this, but Belichick's been incorporating air raid plays in his offense with Josh McDaniels. And now he's got Bill O'Brien back, which is really exciting for years. I mean, he's always ahead of the curve in terms of schemes and in coming up with ways to, to, um, defend the current trends. You know, it's so impressive. And, and Flores strikes me as that Quinn is, is proving it. So, I mean, to get Flores or Quinn would be a coup in my opinion. Um, you know, in some ways, I, I'm just fascinated with Flores's, uh innovative skills on top of being able to, you know, pattern what other people do. I thought the two things he did his last year in Miami um, when, he, um, when he took care of or it was the second year in Miami when he just totally stopped the Rams bread and butter plays in there, you know, it, you know, it, it, in successive stops, I mean, to the point where Goff was so frustrated. That was the beginning of the end of Jared Goff in, um, in L.A. because the blueprint that uh, Flores put down um, against that Rams, at that point, the Rams offense was pretty much unstoppable. And then he came up with the blueprint of putting a guy – he would not give up contain on bootlegs. And he sent the guy right after Goff and flustered him. I mean, we haven't seen that in four years with Vance Joseph. We just haven't seen that. When Cooper Cup went in motion, he'd have his edge player take him out and knock him off his, his, his you know motion. I mean, stuff like that. I mean, he'd do, he'd do smart things. They're game changers and it set up blueprints for other people to follow, which other teams did after that. And they relegated Goff to the back end of a pocket and got pressure in his face, and Goff wasn't able to handle it well. He's better at it now in in, um, in Detroit, but he wasn't handling it that well then. And then look what happened, you know. So I um, mean and then Flores did it with against the Cardinals, against Kyler Murray. He set up a blueprint that other people followed that cost the Cardinals three games. Um, because, uh, you know, and it was in the fourth quarter of the game against the Cardinals, the Cardinals were, you know, um, Flores had to shut the Cardinals offense out in that fourth quarter. Cause they had 31 points already and Kyle was having one of his best days as a pro. And so he, at the end, he was just like, screw it. I'm going in." here's what we're doing. We had, he had it ready. He pulled the safety down of the box. He created like a four to five man linebacker wall. And if you include the safety so it was symmetrical so that you know to defend Kyler from taking off on the RPOs or read options he had guys sitting in him assigned only to Kyler and Kyler had 106 yards at that point in the game and suddenly the Cardinals can't get first downs and Kyler was trying to convert a third down Credit him, he put his shoulder down to try to get it against the Lions, got popped a yard short. And then the next play, the they stuffed the Cardinals and turned it over on downs. And um, their fourth quarter shutout with that defense that, you know, and then later it forced the long field goal to try to tie the game. Because again, they, they couldn't, Cardinals couldn't con- convert on a third and, sh- and one. And, uh, you know, that was the, the, The field goal that Zan Gonzalez missed, unfortunately, um, and couldn't tie the game. We lost to Flores and lost to Tua in his second ever start um, in a very frustrating game. And Kyler was disconsolate after the game. I mean, he played, it was almost as if like, hey, I played one of the best games of my life and we still lose. Um, That's how frustrated he was. Um, And, um, you know, that's been a real thing. I mean, Kyler's lack of confidence in the Cardinals' defense has been a real thing. Um, It's not just Kyler's. Ask yourself, how confident have you been in the Cardinals' defense? You know, how confident are you once the the offense gets the lead in the fourth quarter? Well, I just documented on Revenge of the Birds how virtually every time on the very next possession the defense gave back the lead. It was only one game they didn't. It was the Chargers game where they they kept the lead twice, but then the offense couldn't couldn't you know run out the clock, and they couldn't get you know uh, a game sealing score in a tight game where they had the lead, and we saw what happened down the stretch with the Chargers. They just um, took. Command. They they they
0: did the Charger
1: thing at the end. They did, and they went for two gutsy. And got it, and because um, Cardinals still could have won if they batted down that two point conversion, or f- for some reason it fell incomplete. But instead, it was wide open and an easy. Th- or you
0: know, they check. they almost got Eckler on the the screen pass that I think ended up being the touchdown, if I'm remembering the play correctly. Yeah, is it Eckler Isaiah out of the Simmons, backfield?
1: Yeah, Isaiah Simmons was assigned to Eckler and was was about as close as a linebacker that size can get to him, but it was a perfect thrown pass. And Eckler got it, the ball to the back end of the pylon, which I still don't understand why that's a touchdown. Um should be inside the pylon, in my opinion, uh, but nobody's cares about what I think so. Um, but, yeah, Eckler gets that. And then here's the thing about Vance. I mean, who's covering the next – now he has Isaiah covering the tight end on the next play in a stack play in a bunch formation. Um, and he's also, in as a linebacker, supposed to, you know, it's a two-point conversion. He's supposed to key on run first. You always have to do that and then pass. And so you go from covering Eckler to now covering the tight end, Everett. And they ran a perfect rub play that, that Simmons got turned around on. And, you know, I mean, but this is the thing. There's just such little consistency in how these guys – I mean, you know, Isaiah Simmons early in the game was covering one of the wide receivers. I mean, He's all over the field covering people. But, you know, the thing about coverage is you want matchups where you get so familiar covering your man – that by the fourth quarter, you know, pretty much everything he's trying to do. But the Cardinals just don't seem to understand that with, with Vance. Um, You know, when you've got a guy covering three or four or five different guys during the course of a game, he's got to adjust on the fly to everyone and everyone's got a different skill set and a different speed and, you know, and catch radius. And, you know, that's a lot of homework to do pre week too Starting to cover three, four guys, um, we gotta find a way to you know um make things more consistent for Cardinal defenders and um and for putting their trust, the coaches trust in the in the players they draft and getting them integrated right away. You know, I mean we draft Will Anderson <laughs> Uh, he ought to be starting from day one. I hope everyone in the world agrees with that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's, I mean, was Micah Parsons starting from day one under Dan Quinn? You betcha. So that's encouraging. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, depending on how today goes with Dan Quinn, I mean, I I just think the whole Sean Payton thing is a fantasy um, I mean, I don't see how in the world it happens. I mean, because of all the moving parts and you know, these draft picks. I mean, the Cardinals have 34 undrafted free agents, I'm uh, unrestricted free agents. I mean, think of that in a 54 man roster. You know, they've got a lot of work to do to build a you know, playoff caliber roster between now and, um, you know, minicamp. So, uh, you know, or the draft after the draft, they got a lot of work to do. And I'm, I I feel like that's why the sooner they can make a coaching decision. And I think they'd have, you know, depends how it goes with Quinn. I think they have probably that built in with Flores. I mean, give me either one of those. I'd be happy. What I don't want is like a Frank Reich being talked into Vance Joseph as defensive coordinator. Um, oh my goodness, I don't even want to think about that. Um, yeah, you know, again, I, I I'm fond of Vance. I mean, he's got a lot of great qualities. I think he'd probably be a better head coach um, and coordinator. But you know, and I hope he gets another chance at that. But you know, um, it's he just really didn't do enough in arizona to invoke a real strong sense of confidence and um sorry to say that but just and he seemed to you know call his talent jv level which to this day just absolutely mystifies me when you have a jj watt a buddha baker you have Athletes like Zavin Collins and Isaiah Simmons, Marco Wilson runs a four, three yet Byron Murphy, one of the top corners of his draft. And you sort of couldn't find the right place for him for three years. I mean, he's never a slot corner. Never. I mean, if you watch this tape at Washington, you know, he was a boundary corner and deluxe soft cushion, then come up with a bang and break up plays and play you know, finally he was used like that this year, and look what happened. I mean, he had his best run until unfortunately he got the back injury. But uh, um, well, yeah, there's just too much. I can go on and on about that. I just we need a fresh break. We need a new coaching staff. You know, if you're gonna gonna tear it down this year, then just do it right. Get a new, you know, new head coach with his own people. And that's the thing, and I'm going to end on this note, is that what the Cardinals really don't understand about, you know, building a coaching staff is the inherent disloyalties that can happen when you hire a head coach, a rookie head coach, and you hire coordinators who were once rookie head coaches who failed. I mean, it's human nature to not want to see the new guy have success when you failed it's just human nature that it almost becomes subliminal or subconscious you know because you know and i think if you look at what happened to cliff here in arizona i mean he had two guys wanting his job around the staff kugler and joseph one on each side of the ball both got promoted and given raises and stuff i mean in essence it almost seemed like a situation where Kugler and Joseph were the head coaches of their sides of the, you know, the lines and balls and all that. And Cliff was the quarterback guru, you know, and once things went sour with Kyler, Cliff's, you know, role in that was now compromised. You know, but behind the scenes, I mean, think about this. Cliff wanted, you know, after year one, there was discussion of, of getting a new coordinator. And Cliff had a guy in mind, even in after year two. So Cliff's sort of, you know, wanting it and seeing. I mean, Cliff shared the same frustration that Kyler did. It was like, every time we got a lead, boom, give it right back, um, it seems. Or I, we can play a great game and still lose on offense. So... Um, You know, I'm sure the offense defense was frustrated with the offenses at times too. But one of the things that for the first first three years, the Cardinals won time of possession on their offense, so they they were really defensive friendly, and it really helped them. This past year, the first half of the year, no, the reverse. I mean, we we're a lot of three and outs and stuff. But you know, so you had, and then word came out in the Fowler wifeus report on ESPN that Cliff wanted Kugler fired and Bidwell refused because he didn't want to eat his contract. I mean, this poor guy, I mean, think of all the things going against him. He had two veteran, now, And you can understand a guy like Kugler who's bounced around the NFL and probably has, you know, a ultimate dream of being a head coach one day, which offensive line coaches rarely are these days. Um, but I'm sure he, you know, that was uh, his greatest goal or becoming an offensive coordinator, you know, and and so he gets put in and with a college coach comes in with a rookie record, you know, even though he probably knew Cliff some from the college days and everything, you know, just how loyal is Cougar going to be to Kingsbury? Same thing with Joseph who just got fired from the Broncos who got kind of a what he would consider to be a raw deal there. I would imagine, you know, I mean, there's no loyalty there. And that's a fact, you know, coaching staff, if you don't have loyalty. So here's my point is that now we're building a coaching staff again, whoever gets it, please don't push the, any remaining coaches on them. And please let them hire their own people, guys they know who will be loyal. If you're going to do what Austin Ford has suggested, which I think is, is the absolute thing to do, if you're going to align all this, you've got to get the loyalties straight on this coaching staff. I mean, I was once hired to coach a high school football team that hadn't won a game in like three years. And I was coming from Connecticut, from a program that was very strong, um, where I was an offensive coach. I hadn't been a head coach yet, but they got word of me and they thought that I would be a good candidate for them. And they were having problems getting people to sign up (laughs) to apply for it because the program was just that weak. That's kind of up for a challenge and everything. And uh, I wasn't, you know, I've, I've thought if I could recruit at this school, which I could, Maybe I could turn around. One of the things they insisted was that I keep the former head coach on as defensive coordinator because he was really good with the kids on defense and they liked him and the guys who played defense for him liked him. Now I was coming from Connecticut to Massachusetts and, you know, I didn't know many people in Massachusetts yet. And, you know, I made a mistake by saying, yes, put it that way, because, I mean, this guy was a pretty good defensive coach. I got to give him a lot of credit for that. But dang, every time we started to do something right, he was like, you know, classic example was um, one one time at halftime, we were getting our butts kicked. And at halftime, kids are chewing on oranges, orange quarters and looking dejected. And I just said, look, let's just wipe the scoreboard clear and play the next half for like a game and let's see who wins. And the kids bought into it, thank God. And uh, with like two seconds left on the clock, my tailback plunged in from the two yard line. We ended up winning the second half, 13 to 12. And my kids were going crazy. Next day I hear that the, the defensive coach thought it was I was playing mind games with the kids and it was fucked up. And I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. Who does that with kids erase the score and play the second game? as it, you know? So, I mean, I, by the end of that season, I was like, listen, I need to have my own guys in here. And fortunately the school let me at that point, we actually won a game. <laughs> so they were pretty excited. Um, and, and now I was in full recruiting mode, but I just say that as someone who knows who's been a coach who you know, has had divided loyalties, put it that way, on the staff. It's just human, but it's human nature. If I were in the same position, I'd probably be apt to think the same way. Like, you just, if you couldn't get it done, why would you want to see someone else, assist somebody else to do it? Um, You know, at some point, those sort of loyalties get get crossed. So um, that's what I'm hoping for the Cardinals, fresh start with a fresh new staff and, you know, I hope Michael Bidwell, I know he's going to have to eat some contracts, but this is what you decided when you decided to move on from Cliff is that it's, you know, if you're going to give a guy the best chance, you've got to give him the clean slate and, and the chance to hire his own guys. And hopefully Bidwell has learned his lesson on that, but he's done that so many times that, you know, I, I don't know if he has, um, and I worry that he hasn't. Um, there's some things he does over and over that you'd like these ripping up contracts after three years when you've got another year to wait. All of which, the only one that he's that's come through in the clutch is uh, Buddha Baker. Everyone else has been a disaster. David Johnson, Tyron Matthew, um, and hopefully Cardinals, you know, will get return back on kyler on this contract um but right now that's in doubt so i mean when you didn't have to sign him why do it wait but it's too late now but hopefully you know bidwell can learn his lesson on the rost on the staff building well that's about it for today um, could be an exciting 24 hours we'll see what happens uh you know people are saying wait and you know, be able to talk to D'Amico Ryans. I don't, he already, you know, I know he ran late with the Texans, but there's a reason why he ran late with the Texans is I think that that's a match made in heaven. I mean, he started as a Texan. Um, You know, they've got the number two pick in the draft. You know, this could be a fresh start for him in a place where he's revered and loved. I mean, and J.J. Watt is pushing for him there. So, um, I mean, that looks like it's made to order. Uh, and I just, without Rand Carthen being GM, I can't see D'Amico Ryans being all that interested in the Cardinals situation. But that's why I, to wait f- more days to be able to talk to him, I just hope they jump on this for the first time ever. Could the Cardinals be the first to hire the head coach? Could it be a history historical hire in the making so we'll find out hope all of you are doing well thanks for your for checking in um if you have any comments i've been uh commenting back and forth with number of you on twitter at wbj mitch any um questions comments uh get on um uh, revenge of the and join our discussions there i've seen kyle in there too he's he's sneaky like that he gets in there and And I love it. So thanks to Kyle Edbetter, the producer extraordinaire, and to all of you. And in the interim, may the red rain of playoff confetti shower down on you into the red, red sea. Red rain.